Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. It's going to be good tonight. And just a reminder also that this, this Sunday, there's no Saturday night. You do remember that. We're, we've uh, we've uh, shut it down for the summer. It's our summer schedule. So, uh, again, if you come Saturday night, God bless you. Just pray for the church, pray over the building, and, and go to the house. Um, but this Sunday, Jay Threadgill, our mi- missionary from Haiti, is going to be here. I want you to hear from our missionaries, and this is one of our... Uh, really great missionaries. He's given his whole adult life to Haiti. He feeds thousands of children every morning. That ministry, Church on the Rock in Haiti. Um, he, for early morning prayer, every morning at six o'clock in the morning, they have approximately a thousand people show up just to pray. And uh, he, he's just, he, God has blessed him there, not without struggle, incredible struggle. All those earthquakes and the terrible tragedies that have happened, um, Jay has seen all of that through. And he'll be here this Sunday to share the word. I'll be here. Kathy will be here. I can't wait to hear him. He's a fireball. You're going to like him. All right? Now, last time we finished chapter 11 was Solomon's really good advice to young people. And what did he say to the young people? He said, obey the word of God, embrace his wisdom, and honor his name. You will never regret it. I wish one time I had eyes in the back of my head. I can pretend that I do. Now we come to the closing chapter. The preacher is going to focus on honoring God in the prime of your life, in the best of your days. The day will come when all the faculties necessary to do so won't function as well as they do when you are young. How many of you are aging a little bit and you can tell things aren't what they used to be? Now, some of you younger people looking at me like, nah, 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 nah. Hey, you're right behind us. <laughs> and believe me, it'll happen quicker than you think. Now, amen. Just got a big amen from my wife. Now, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, not your old age, but do it earlier than that. Remember God in your youth before the difficult days come. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember the one who made you, gave you life, gifted you with your varying abilities, and to whom you owe everything. Remember him. Remember him when you're young. Uh, think about it. How unnatural and unthankful to ignore God while you're young, in the prime of life, with your whole future stretched out in front of you. How odd to ignore him then. When you stop and think about it. Because that's when you need him most. Your guide, your counselor, your protector, your deliverer, your wisdom. When you're young is when you really need him. And he says, don't just remember him, but serve him with all your might when you're young. In the New Testament, the Bible records, then one of the scribes came and asked him, that is Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's read this together, everybody. And you shall love the Lord your God. 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. That means all of you. Honor him. And, And what is he focusing on? When you're 12, when you're 13, when you're 14, when you're 15. Start then. This is the first commandment, and Jesus went on to say the second uh, is, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there's no other commandment greater than these. I really believe the one has to precede the other. If you're not fully in love with God, you can't fully love your neighbor. As you fully love God vertically, then you can go horizontal and love people that are not lovable. The Bible didn't say you got to like everybody. It just said you got to love everybody. And you know it's a whole lot easier to love some people than it is to like them. Stare up at me now, not next to you. You know that, though, right? You can love somebody without liking them. And so those are the words of Jesus. And so he, he's echoing the same thing Solomon said. Uh, this is Solomon's exhortation. Love the Lord your God with all your strength while you can. For the days are coming that your greatest strength is going to be gone. It's going to be gone. In the following verses, he's going to begin in verse 2 to describe what he calls the difficult days of old age. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I think old is or young because the older I get, uh, my idea of old increases. We used to have, when I started pastoring, we had our 49ers. Our 49ers were the 49 and over who met, and I I considered them the older folks. Well, see, now that I'm 50, I... So, so now I, I, I'm looking at maybe 59ers or 65ers. I think you're as old as you feel. And here's Jane down here. I won't tell you how old she is, but she still takes kickboxing. Don't cross her. Right, Jane? Raise your hand, Jane. You can't even see her. and Even when she stands up, you can't tell she's there. But we love Jane. And she drives a, a hot little uh, Mercedes. Little, I mean, what's that song? Little old lady from Pasadena? Go. Anyway. Now, so he's going to talk about the difficult days of old age. So he starts in verse 2. He says, remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes. And rain clouds continually darken your sky. Now, now, I'm going to give you a forewarning. This can kind of be depressing, but I'm going to lighten it up. Because he's really talking about old age encroaching. So he's alluding first to the, the dimming of our natural eyes. The aging person can't see as well. The light of the stars seems to grow dim. It gets to the point, what stars? A guy told me, he said... I can't see in, in this eye, and I can't see well at all in my right eye, and I can hardly hear anything, but thank God I can still drive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the rain clouds, he mentions, are likely the increased troubles of old age. The rain clouds. With old age comes more troubles than you had when you were young in, in, in a different kind of a way. If it's not one thing, it's another. One preacher 
refer to an aging body this way. He said, you know you're getting old when, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. (laughs) Referring to an aging body. Then verse 3, he continues with this description. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease, because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim. Now, he's given us four examples there. Let me just take them one at a time. The keepers of the house are the, the hands and the arms, which are man's best inter- instruments to defend his body from the assaults of men or beasts, and which, in a special manner, are subject to trembling as one ages. And you notice this in, in older folks, that the hands begin to tremble. That's the keepers of the house. When the keepers of the house tremble. Okay? So that's, that's the arms and the hands. The strong men that bow down are either the back or the thighs and legs in which the main strength of the body consists and which in older age grow very feeble. We, we've seen it. You know, you, you, you can't get around as well. You're, that's it. The strong men aren't so strong anymore because your legs are what upholds you, your feet. The grinders, we know what that is. Everybody smile. The grinders, we can all guess, are the teeth that grind food. In Solomon's day, they did not have the incredible dentistry that, that we have now. And uh, hence, the teeth would fall out through the years until they were few. George Washington had wooden teeth before they had real dentures. He had wooden teeth. You did what you had to do. But as you age, before all of these marvelous dental advancements, you just lost your teeth. And so the grinders were few. So it was like, honey, bring me some soup because I can't chew anymore. How many of you are glad we live in the 21st century? Now, the windows is another allusion to the eyes, which they grow dim with time. Now, look at verse 4. When the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one uh, rises up at the sound of a bird, when you get up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low. Now, again, he's, he's using metaphors to describe aging. So let's just tackle these metaphors one at a time. This verse continues the description of the body as an afflicted house. As you age, the house becomes afflicted. The house takes on various issues and problems. And the doors, he says, are shut in the streets. I believe what he's, what he's alluding to here is all the communication with the outer world is broken off. You begin to withdraw in older age. I remember reading uh, about, um, oh gosh, what was her name? A movie star, famous movie star, beautiful movie star, the blonde. No, not Marilyn Monroe. Still around. Like Debbie Reynolds, somebody like that. No. And how, well, this is going to be a great recording for radio. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, Here's the deal. Um, Anyway, I read a beautiful Blonde woman, so likable, so uh, really. No, no, forget it. She's from the 50s. Doris Day. Beautiful Doris Day. So likable, such screen presence, but now she's just a hermit in her house. She doesn't go out. 
The only time she goes out is to rescue dogs. That's what she does. And her house is full of rescued dogs, which I fully understand. You've you got to have something to love. And when your beauty is gone and you're not who you used to be, let's face it, a lot of suitors walk away. And she's alone in this great big mansion and never comes out. And, and, and here's the deal. The doors are shut in the streets. That's what it's talking about. You don't go out as much. The, the, the happy, cheerful sound of grinding, which, which is talking about the hustle and bustle of life. We would call it city noise. Just the noise of life that's outside your house is low. And this is talking about their hearing growing dull. We have friends. Well, I should say parents in the Lord. And, and sometimes they talk to each other. They're way on in years now, 90s. They talk to each other in their house with megaphones. Hey, when's breakfast ready? <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Come get it. I, I called him last week. I was talking for five minutes, me, my voice. I was talking to him for five minutes. And at the end of five minutes, he says, who is this? <laughs> and I said, George. What do you mean? Who is this? It's me, Jeff. Jeff. Oh, Jeff. How's it going? Were a lot of people saved today? Talking about church. But for five minutes, I'm just yakking on, thinking he knows who I am. His hearing. (laughs) This is true. Huh? What? Huh? It gives the guys a great excuse to ignore. What did you say? I didn't hear you. I didn't hear a thing you said. What was that about emptying the trash? I'm sorry. I didn't even hear you. But at the same time, watch this. At the same time, he says, he awakens at the sound of a bird. Now, this means his sleep is fitful. Whereas he used to sleep through a train running through the living room, now it takes just a slight noise. He's startled awake. Insomnia comes with older age. Then he talks about the daughters of music. The daughters of music that are brought low. The daughters of music are brought low. I believe, no doubt about it, it's talking about the organs of speech. So that the man cannot sing a note. The, the, the daughters of music are brought low. The voice box isn't what it used to be. You know, I, I, I love Billy Graham. Billy Graham was absolutely one of my heroes, one of my top heroes. And what a voice he had, booming, just like thunder and lightning and would just uh, entrance a stadium full of people. But now it's so... It's so frail. And, and you can hardly make out what he's saying. The daughters of music are brought low. The voices of the aged are weaker. They can't speak or sing as they once did. The voice falters, it rattles, it, it, it catches itself. That's what he's talking about. Aging, the joys of aging. Verse 5, also... They are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Now, first let's tackle the fear thing. Have you ever noticed that people that age develop fears they didn't used to have? 
Fears that we didn't have when we were young tend to creep up on us. Silly fears, irrational fears, but they creep up on us. Now this old man that he's describing, and I think it's him, is afraid of heights. He didn't used to be afraid of heights, but now he's afraid of heights. Afraid, and he's afraid of what might beset him on the road that he once traveled with delight. He's afraid to go out. You know, you get behind a much older person on the highway, and when they were 30, in their 30s and 20s, man, they're leaning back, they're steering with one finger, going down the road. But when they're 80, they're holding on to that steering wheel, they're leaning forward, and they're going 20 miles under the speed limit, and you want to go, what's the matter with you? And you ask them, I'm afraid. I've seen wrecks, and, and I'm not as confident about my motor control, and so they're gripping, I mean, white knuckle on the steering wheel. That's what he's talking about, fears. Solomon's saying, I, I used to love going down that road. Now I'm afraid a wolf's going to get me or a lion's going to get me or something's going to happen to me. I'm afraid to go out. He, he even takes it this far, the grasshopper is a burden. Even a simple insect, when alighting on him, is a burden. And, and the idea is this, that everything becomes a burden for the aged person. Everything freaks them out. Everything burdens them down. Everything becomes, uh, makes a a mountain out of a molehill. Everything. Right down to a grasshopper. The lightest, slightest of issues will weigh them down and burden them. I know people like that. I hope I'm not there. hope I don't get there. But you used to be able to carry so much, handle so many burdens and cares at once. But now... You can't. It just takes you down. Now, then he says, and desire fails. Now, no question in my mind, especially knowing who wrote it, he's pointing to sexual desire. It fails. But also, the diminishing of all desires, desire for meat, drink, excitement, other things associated with the youthful lust for living begin to ebb and fail the way you used to want to just grab the world by the tail and just enjoy life and take in life. And you had all these desires that drove you. But as you age, they, they ebb. And you don't want to go anywhere. You don't want to necessarily do very much. And if you go down to the Seven Eleven, it's a big journey. You know, it's a major undertaking. And, and you just don't have the desires you used to have. Things are just kind of flat. Okay? <laughs> I can tell you all are being really blessed. <laughs> but in this, the metaphors he uses are incredible. For, now look what he says. For man goes to his eternal home. This is where he's been leading up to with all these verses. Here's where it ends. Man goes to his eternal home. And the mourners come to the funeral. Death is inevitable, says the preacher. Death is inevitable. It's going to come to all of us if the rapture doesn't happen. It's going to come to all of us. Everybody here is going to die. It's a guarantee. You may make it to 90. My mother is 90 this August. And what's amazing about my mother is a lot of things that I've read to you, she hasn't experienced yet. She's still got her full thinking capacity. She still drives. She'll, she'll drive all the way over here from Richardson to be with us. Um, she, she has more friends that I could even think about. She's never had any major physical problems and she's going to be 90 this August. 
But you know what? Eventually, no one avoids this. It's part of the curse that came on us because of sin. Now, notice that Solomon here is talking about an eternal home. He mentions an eternal home. Whereas earlier in this book and all throughout this book, do you remember, those of you that have been through this with me, his view seemed to be that this is all there is. And that's why he says vanity, vanity, all is vanity because he's got this horizontal outlook on everything because he has departed from God. And the book of Ecclesiastes is the return of Solomon to faith. And he's working through all these various issues. He got so far out there that he's having to rethink and recalibrate his faith. So we're, we're reading about him working this out. But for the longest time in the first chapters, he's, he's, ah, you know, when you die, that's it. And you better enjoy life now because after that, you're going off into a dark place and all these other things. But now here in chapter 12, he talks about an eternal home. So can you see with me, the man is getting somewhere. Okay. Look what he says in verse 6. Remember, your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Now, that's four more illustrations. He's exhorting us to serve God while we are young, give to him the best of our years, live for him in the prime of youth, and then he gives us four illustrations of death. The first two are a silver cord and a golden bowl. He says, before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken. The golden bowl, uh, many commentators agree with this. Some of this is really left up to interpretation, but I've read many different commentators on this, men who gave their lives to study the Bible. And the consensus seems to be that the golden bowl is likely the skull which holding and protecting the brain is called golden. It's valuable because it holds and protects your gray matter. Okay? He says, before that is broken, talking about death, the silver cord is probably a reference to the spine. Silver cord, which is white and precious as silver, And it's attached to the brain. He's talking about two things you must have to be alive. The bowl becomes broken and the silver cord is snapped. And that's talking about death. Two things vital to life are broken. Now the next two illustrations are a shattered pitcher at a fountain and the broken wheel of a well. Now the pitcher shattered at the fountain illustrates a device used to carry water that can no longer do so. You know what it was like. We've all seen these wells where there's a, there's a bucket at the top and you lower it down to get water and then you bring it back up. But if that thing is broken, then it can no longer bring water up. So its purpose is over. Its purpose is finished. It's done. So is the body that dies. It can no longer hold or contain life. So its purpose is finished. And I personally believe when your purpose is finished, God takes you home. And the broken wheel at the well is again a picture of a device used to draw water up from the well, 
and it can no longer do so. The wheel's broken. So you cannot, that, that wheel can't bring water up anymore. So something instrumental to getting water, which is life, to you can no longer do it. And that's a picture of a broken body that has expired. It can no longer hold life. Now, where he goes next shows me, it excites me. And I'm so glad that chapter 12 is here. Because chapter, the first chapter, 11 chapters, this man's in a dark place. <laughs> this man's in a, in a struggling place. This man is really struggling with things. But in chapter 12, you begin to see real glimpses of spiritual breakthrough and spiritual understanding that let you know Solomon made it to the other side. Because once again, he's going to reveal greater clarity about life after death and the reality of eternity. Verse 7 says, Then the dust, once you've died, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Everybody say with me, wow. Amen. See, that's a revelation. He has not been there the first 11 chapters, but he's there now. He's talking about death. He's talking about the end of everything. He's talking about life coming to a close. He says, here's where I am in my faith. My body is going to return to the ground, but my spirit that God gave to me is going to go straight to him. What did Paul say in the New Testament? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Two things happen at death. One, the body returns to dust, whether by cremation or over time while in the ground, it returns to that from which it came dust. We all came from dirt. Hate to break it to you, but you are not made of fairy dust. We all came from dirt. We came from the dust. Pastor Jeff, I just don't believe that. We're not made of dirt, Genesis 2, verse 7 says. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. That was the impartation of his soul. But he was first formed out of dust. And to the dust, the body returns until the voice calls it out of the grave. And when the voice calls it out of the grave, it comes back together into a glorified body, like unto the glorified body of Jesus Christ, and it lives forever and forever and forever. That's, that's what he's talking about. My spirit's going to go to God, but the resurrection is going to happen one day. And this is the crux and the center of the Christian faith. Resurrection. Resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that uh, uh, believes in me shall not die, but have, have everlasting life. And though he were dead, yet shall he live. I am the resurrection and the life. The trumpet will blow and the dead in Christ will rise first. As Jesus looked into Lazarus' grave and the voice called to Lazarus and said, come forth. We have a picture of what's going to happen one day with billions of people. Because Lazarus, dead four days and nights, came out of there, wrapped in his grave clothes, a man resurrected from the dead. And right before that happened, Jesus had told Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection. Let me show you what I mean. I'm about to give you show and tell. 
And so he walked right over the tomb and said, move that stone away. I'm about to show you who I really am and who you're talking to. And he called a dead man out. And he's going to call billions of dead people out of the grave. That's the promise of the gospel. That's it. So, so the body returns to the dust, waiting the resurrection. But then second, the spirit within us, that eternal part of our constitution, our soul, immediately returns to God. You are an eternal creature, person, entity. You're eternal. And your eternal life isn't going to begin one day. It has already begun. If you're a Christian, your eternal life has already started. But you're not like other creatures that God created. God gave you, he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. We don't read that he did that with anything else. He gave him that he had created. He gave to him a living, it says he became a living soul. So the stunning, awesome thing about people, and most don't realize it, is that they are eternal. Moses said, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. Now you notice the theology of Moses there. Even Moses understood that we had a spirit within us that was eternal and that God was God over our spirit. Our spirit would answer to God, would go to God, would return to God. What Moses said echoes what Solomon said and what the whole Bible teaches, that we have a, an eternal soul and that when our body quits, it immediately goes to the one who made us. Amen. The God of the spirits of all flesh. What a powerful statement. Our God, the God of the Bible, is the God of the souls of every human being ever conceived. And at conception, that conceived child at conception is a living soul. On the great day of judgment that's, that's galloping our way, every person who rejected his son or who refused to walk in the light God gave them will be brought before the God of all spirits. They will be. Every person that ever lived is going to be resurrected, not just Christians. Everyone's going to be resurrected. Everyone. Hitler's going to be resurrected. Mussolini's going to be resurrected. I don't care. You name any, any person of infamy in history, any atheist, any God-hater, any wicked, evil person, they're all going to be resurrected and brought before God. There's going to be a resurrection of every human being. That's the awesome message of the great white throne judgment. And the God of all spirits is going to judge each one. If you're covered in the blood of the Lamb, you're not judged for any sin whatsoever. You're free, home free. But if you didn't come to Christ, if you resisted Him, if you suppressed the truth, if you pushed it down, if you did not allow Him into your life, if you denied Him, walked away from Him, ignored Him, which our country is doing today in spades, then... There's going to come an awesome day, folks. There's going to come an awesome day. This sits on my spirit 
every day. It sits on my spirit. I know this. There's an awesome day of judgment coming. It, it's, it's terrifying and it's, it's jaw dropping and it's almost, it, it is, it's incomprehensible what it will be like. But your spirit, my spirit, the spirit of every human that ever lived is going to go before God, the God of all the spirits, all the spirits of men. And what a horrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God and face that judgment. That's why we preach Christ and him crucified. We harp on the blood. We will never depart from the cross, never from the blood, never from Jesus being the one and only way. Because I look at that judgment coming and I say, dear God, help us to reach as many people as we can in as many ways as we can, as fast as we can, as creatively as we can, as urgently as we can. Because it's coming. It's coming. That judgment day is coming. Now he says in verse 8, Vanity, vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Here we go again. This is verse 8. The same way that he began the book, he's ending the book. All is vanity. But let's clarify what he means now at the end of the book. And what he says, what I'm about to share with you, he's right about it. All is vanity. All things in the world are vain. All creatures are subject to vanity, all of them. All of God's created order, dogs, cats, all the mammals, lions, tigers, bears, all the marine life, all are subject to vanity. They have been subjected to vanity because of sin. The entire creation is suffering because of sin. Let me, let me just blow your mind with something. You know that God did not create carnivores in the beginning? He didn't create animals to go tear each other to pieces and eat each other. Do you know that if you go to Genesis and you look at what God says as he created, as he created everything, says he looked at everything and said it was good, and he said to Adam, I have given to you every herb of the field for food as well as to all the animals. Read it. All the animals. Lions were originally herbivores. Not carnivores. God didn't create animals and say, now go ahead and tear each other to pieces and eat each other up, and it is good. Amen. Don't tell me God did that. The way they die, that terrible death, the fear, the terror, that wasn't a part of God's original creation. Do you know that in Paradise Lost, we got to get in our heads that creation went nuts. The soul of people went crazy. Our thinking got skewed. And the whole created order got out of order. And so we see paradise lost. But when paradise is regained, what do we find in Isaiah? The lion lays down with the lamb. And it says the lion is eating straw. I look forward to that day because I love God's created order. I hate the way they suffer when they eat each other up. I look forward to the day that that lion's laying down with the lamb, that a child can, pray, can play in a cobra's den, and the cobra will not bite him. That's what Isaiah said. Isaiah showed us the, the recapturing and regaining of lost paradise, and it's found again 
in and through and because of Jesus Christ. But right now, all the creatures are subject to vanity. Man in every state and in his best estate is altogether vanity. Now, the wise man, the preacher, Solomon, can affirm with confidence these things because uh, after he had shown that not only childhood and youth are vanity, but even old age, the infirmities, the sorrows, the distresses of which he has just discussed, that's all vanity, but, but, and, and then everything ends in death. The last end of man is for his body to return to the earth and his soul to God. Now, if we stopped right there, if you just stopped right there, then you could actually agree with everything he taught in Ecclesiastes when it comes to vanity. It's all vanity. What's it all for? You're just going to die. Somebody else is going to get what you earned. You're just going to return to the dust and that's it. What's it all for? It's vanity. But we have a Savior who undid and reversed the curse. So the vanity part is only for the godless, only for those who reject Christ. Then indeed, everything, everything you touch is going to be vanity. But for those who have trusted in Christ, there is redemption from the curse. The paradise that was lost in the garden is paradise found again in him. That's why the Bible says in Revelation at the very end, Behold, I make all things new. Glory to God. Well, I could stop right there and just preach the rest of the night and go home because that excites me. Where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be without the blood of the Lamb? Where would we be without the Spirit of grace and the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us? Where would we be without the God of hope? Where would we be without the promises in the Bible? It would be vanity, vanity, all is vanity. But praise God, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Glory to God. So I don't live in vanity. I live in hope. As Carlito would say, woo! (laughs) Now we come to the epilogue of the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's the epilogue. Verses 9 and 10. And moreover... Now, he's talking about himself, and he's kind of summing things up. He's summing things up. And so, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. You've got the book of Proverbs in here. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. He's telling us that what he shared was inspired. Solomon still taught the people knowledge after his fall into idolatry and his recovery. On his way through recovery, he gave us Ecclesiastes. In his better days, he gave us the Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. He communicated his knowledge. He didn't hide his talent into the earth nor in a napkin, but having freely received, he freely gave and kept back nothing from his people. What he shared were words of truth. I love this Bible. 
I'm holding my hand gold, silver, precious stones, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, sapphires, all waiting for you to dig it up out of this word. This is a precious word. There's no book like this in all the earth. The word of God. The word of God. So he says, what I share with you were words of truth. They were inspired. He taught them the knowledge of themselves. He told them the truth about themselves. You're fallen. You're impure. You're impotent. And you're unrighteous. That's the truth about men. The knowledge of the creatures of God's creation. He told them the truth about that. And the vanity that they're all subjected to. He taught them about riches, honor, and pleasures. He taught them that there was no real answer in money, no real answer in sensuality, no answer in hedonism, no real answer in other philosophies, that the only answer was fearing God and obeying his word. He taught about Christ as the wisdom of God. Did you know that? Solomon did. Taught about Christ as the wisdom of God. Told about the eternal nature of his person, his glories, his excellencies, and his beauties. And you find those truths in the Proverbs and in the Song of Songs. Song of Solomon. This man was an incredibly gifted man, though he fell. Verse 11, the words of the wise... He's talking about his own wisdom now and the wisdom of the Bible. The words of the wise are like goads and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Now, I pulled that out from another version because it makes a little bit better sense. The NLT puts it this way. The words of the wise are like cattle prods. (laughs) Catch this. So we're in faux woof. We understand cattle prods, right? How about a taser? The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful, but helpful. Their collected sayings, everything in this book, are like a nail-studded stick, which is what shepherds would use in the Old Testament. They would have a stick that had nails in it, and they would prod the sheep into the direction they needed to go. And it hurt, but it got them going in the direction they needed to go. He said, that's what the Bible is like. That's why some people won't come to a church that, that preaches the Bible. Oh, they, they read the Bible. I'm not interested. I'm not going to go there. You know why you're not going to go there? Because the Bible convicts you. There are churches you can go to for a year and never once be convicted of sin because they're never going to minister the Bible. But, but here is like a cattle prod. This is what he's saying to us. The words of the wise in here are like cattle prods. Here's, here we are, dumb sheep, straying, always going off in the wrong direction if left to ourselves. And he says, God comes along with his word and prod you or swat you. Even in the Old Testament, when David said in the 23rd Psalm, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He wasn't necessarily talking about something that was pleasurable because that Old Testament shepherd would take that rod and he was an expert at hurling that thing through the air at a straying sheep and whacking him from behind with it. Or that sheep would turn around and get back in with the flock. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They get me into where I ought to be. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, the psalmist said. But now I have kept your word. What has made me keep his word? I got afflicted. What afflicts us sometimes? The word of God. I can't tell you how many people come up to me all the time and say, Boy, pastor, that message really stung, but it was good. 
I said, I didn't mean to sting you. But see, when the word is really preached, the way it ought to be preached, it, it, it lovingly, graciously, mercifully prods us and corrects us and gets us going in the right direction. This is the beauty and the power of God's Word. Though it sometimes stings with conviction, it prods us towards life. It's, it's good for us. And as a shepherd drives his sheep toward greener pastures, so God's Word drives us to the green pastures of righteous living. Now, we're coming to the last verses. Chapter, or verse 12. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. You're looking at a guy that can amen that. I live studying. I study all the time. My constitution is kind of built for it. I've been a reader since I was a little kid. When my friends were off playing marbles, I was grabbing Encyclopedia Britannica and run off into the woods to learn the names of all the birds and creatures. So picture me at eight in the woods with an encyclopedia. And you got me, okay? But here's what he's saying. He's telling us that not all study is advantageous to our soul. There's an endless number of books to read, most of which will do nothing at all to strengthen your mind or your spirit. You can live just reading junk. And it's a, it's a weary, weariness to your flesh, So the best advice is that more of your reading than not should be that which edifies, like the Bible and other books that have to do with the things of God. I rarely, except when I read history, rarely read something that doesn't speak to my soul and feed my soul. I read a lot of history. I love history. And I read a lot of philosophy only so that I can speak to this generation. Now, the close... Solomon sums up the book with one final admonition. Here's the end, last two verses. And this is out of the NLT, New Living Translation. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. Can we say that together? Fear God and obey his commands. After all this searching and seeking and sensuality and drunkenness, hedonism and philosophy and depression and disillusionment and pessimism, he finally comes down to this. He says, here's what I've got to say at the end of my book. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everybody's duty. And then verse 14, God will judge us for everything we do including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So in light of the reality of coming judgment and accountability before God for how we lived our life, wisdom advises we fear the Lord and live a life of obedience and honor to Him. Can we stand together tonight? Isn't this good stuff? Man, I'll tell you. Now, Ushers, are y'all ready to hand out those questionnaires? If you want to ask me a question, and don't put your name. You can remain totally anonymous. And I've never had anybody put their names, as a matter of fact. Um, but if you want one of these, can you just lift your hand and you want to ask a question? Lift them high, lift them high. 
I know I got some curious people in here. Lift your hands high. Where are you? What are y'all doing, Ted? Are you handing them out? Oh, you're at the door. Okay, I'm sorry, everybody. Just grab one at the door. And if you want to write down a question before you even leave tonight and, and um, take it to the uh, connection point. Valerie, are they taking the connection point? They hand them there. Okay. And I'll get all these questions. I'll pick the ones that I think are the most universal, uh, the most common, um, that would speak to the most people. I'll grab the best ones that I can find. They're all good. But I'm going to grab the ones that I think are, would, would apply to most people. And I'll do my best to answer them. Two weeks in a row. So be thinking. I know you have some questions, okay? Let's thank the Lord. Lord, we just thank you tonight for the wisdom of this book. That to, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To honor you with our life. To begin young. To give ourselves to you as young people. Lord, to know that honoring you is the only life that brings a great reward. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of the Lamb of God that delivered us from this terrible vanity and futility and hopelessness. We praise you and thank you, Lord, that we have a living hope. If you have a living hope, lift your hands to him. Bless your